uh, always feels like there's a bit more grunt in the room on Man Church as we talk about some of this stuff. We're going to have a great day doing it. Uh, we're going to be interviewing four blokes today, and I'm going to welcome them in just a minute. But before they uh, come, I wanted to just talk about something that I think is pretty true when it comes to uh, our relationship with God. It's that we can sometimes think that, I, I think we can sometimes put our own relationship of our own Father on this earth and sort of supersede that with who God is. I was actually talking to somebody just this week uh, about that, the fact that they incredibly struggle uh, in the last few weeks with uh, loving God because they had a bad relationship with their dad and they're working through it big time. They're finding it really hard. And I guess I just want to say today, try and see God in a different light. See God as somebody uh, different to perhaps what you might have uh, always held in your own heart and maybe examine even what's in your own heart. Uh, here's some of the, the different ways that we can see God. Probably three different things I'll highlight first up. We can see ourselves as for God as over God or as under God. And what do I mean by that? Uh, the for God one is a bit like this. We sort of see God as okay, but we think I've got to work for God, for God to love me. So essentially God's, God's pretty cool, but what God wants from me is productivity for me to be successful, for me to make sure that my family's good or that my ministry is good or that I win lots of people uh, to Christ or whatever it might be but I better work well for God that everything I do in life is about getting God's approval of me and uh, the trouble with our church context is a lot of us can come to church and we can actually be that in that category of being well I better work for God and make sure that I achieve all the things that he wants because God's really about getting stuff from me. Then there's this other category of we're over God. Now that category is um, a real scary category because that category basically says, well, I don't need God in my life, but God fits somewhere underneath me. If you want to imagine it, sort of I'm standing on a stage here, that God fits somewhere down there. And in my life, I'll just basically live my life in such a way that God fits with my plans rather than I fit with his plan. So that's the uh, over God concept. Again, last night I was talking with a guy, we were at a wedding and um, we're chatting about what he thought of God and where he was at in his own life. And he said to me, he says, you know, my biggest deal is I don't want any God to control me. I want to be in control of my own life. That's what he said. And so he would be an over God sort of guy. He basically says, God, you better fit my world. And then the last one that I mentioned was under God. Maybe you fit one of these categories, but the under God category uh, says not just that God's in control, because we all believe that, but just that God is a tyrant, that God is aggressive, that God is mean, that God is manipulative, that God is ready to thump me if I make any mistake. We're not, just, we're, we're not just sort of under God, we are under God, that God has got us under the thumb, that he's mean, that he's sitting up there in heaven wanting to, I don't know, twist us up and do whatever he can to us. And there's a real fear factor associated with God. So there's over God, under God, working for God. But I guess the one I want to really highlight today is the thought that we can be with God that we can walk with God. You see this talked a lot about in Scripture. In Acts it says that in Him we live and breathe and have our being, that we can walk alongside of God. The Scripture talks about our relationship with God as being like a father uh, to, to a, a child. The Scripture talks in other places like we can be a friend of God. The great parable, and if you ever do struggle with your relationship with God or what you think about God, have a look at the parable of the prodigal son. It's often uh, used on these sorts of days, but for good reason, because in that parable, we see the picture of God that allows the son to run away from him. He, he allows the son to, to walk out of his presence. But God, this father, God has this eager expectation for the son's return, as any good loving father would. And 
as you may know, in Jewish culture, it was uh, never expected that a father would run towards his son. But in this parable, we see the Jewish father sort of pulling up the, 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 the clothes that he wore and ran out towards the son to meet him. And it's a picture there of the fact that we can live our life with God. And this is the radical nature of our Christian faith that God actually wants to do life with us, that it doesn't have to be as painful and as under God or for God or over God. All of these concepts can go out the door and we can walk a life with God. And that's what we'd love you to take from here today. We're going to uh, talk to these gentlemen that come up. I have been joking the last few days, they are experts on manhood and uh, so we're going to hear from them but I do want to stress the fact that you know these guys are essentially people that have worked out that their relationship with God is about being with God that they're they're ultimately nothing special there's no incredible intelligence or or any incredible gifting on them but what they've discovered is that they can live a life that's with God and out of that comes a wisdom that I think is amazing and we're going to hear from some of that wisdom now. So I've built them up pretty well, haven't I? I think I've uh, made them sound pretty special. So I'm going to invite them up. By the way, in case you're wondering, when's the coffee break and, and when do I eat the, the, the chips and the other things that have been... Ha who's got, has anybody got chips out there? There's a few people, all right. There might be some more around as well in the break, but we're going to break in the middle of this talk and uh, we'll give you a chance to do that. So can I welcome up the guys that are going to be with me here this morning. Of course, we've got uh, <coughs> my father, and happy Father's Day, Dad, Philip Mutzelberg, as he comes up. Uh, we've got Duncan Brown, who is somewhere out there, come on up. A uh, great man in his own right, good-looking guy too. And um, sounds a bit odd, doesn't it, to say? Uh, then we've got Wayne Seymour, our men's leader, he's coming up. And uh, Dan Abizay, our AFL-loving bloke, but a bloke nonetheless, as I've been describing him recently. So, come on in, guys. They're all looking pretty manly. What do you th what do you think? They're looking all right. Very masculine. Very masculine up here. Oh, look at this! We got coffee. Hey, look out! Being delivered. Very good. Uh, is it all the same, or okay? So, too bad. <laughs> Flat white. Just, just go with it. Cafe. Don't yeah, ask any questions. There we go. Did you ask for a soy latte? <laughs> anyway. Thanks for sure. Duncan's our sensitive new age. Uh, what happened to the cappuccino? Sort of guy. Nothing wrong with a soy latte. There we go. Is there Murray? Murray has a soy latte. Oh really? Oh wow. We're decaf, mate. You have decaf? Mate, absolutely. <laughs> Double shot. We're exposing decaf, our soy heart latte, already mate. up here, aren't we? You're not going to get deeper than this. The type of coffee that we drink. Quick first question to you guys. What is the best thing about being a bloke? What do you reckon is the best thing about being a bloke? I didn't give them much time to think about this. So. Is that opposed to being a, not a bloke? Being a, as opposed to being a female, you mean? Yes. Well, you well, you can take whatever context already. you want, but that's a dangerous way, place you're going, I reckon. Uh, for, for me, I, well, I asked my son this last night, and he said, Ah, oh, beards, Dad. Beards. Oh, yeah. Beards. I said, well, yeah, maybe. But I, I think... Women can have beards, mate. <laughs> well, I was, going, <laughs> I was refrained from saying that. My editor <laughs> took that one out. Too. Stuff, but um, <laughs> I, think, I think, for me, I think it's um, the convenience of number ones. Oh, wow. We're really going straight to that. This is man church, right? The kids are gone. No letters or emails, okay? All right. We'll move on from Wayne. Mine was similar to Wayne's. <laughs> it was uh, just being able to go to the toilet by myself. Oh, really? Yeah, don't have to go in a group. Okay. All the women have That's to go true. in a group. They can't help themselves. That's very true. Yeah, there's truth in that. That's a good one. That's great. That. You know, after a lot of prayer, I figured out it was <laughs> guys get to play with classic cars oh, yeah. and get dirt under their fingernails and don't have to play with doll houses. That's it. True. <laughs> yeah. I play with dolls yeah. houses, <laughs> but I've got little girls, so there you go. Duncan, you got anything yeah, to add? I don't think it, I think it just lowers the bar on the whole 
bunch of behavioural expectations, finger blokes. So okay. <laughs> um, I'm not expected to be able to multi-skill. Um, I'm not expected to be able to have intelligent conversations <laughs> on the phone. Good. I'm allowed to grunt. But, um, <laughs> no, look, I think, and, and quite seriously, I, I, I'm, you know, I have the privilege of being married to my wife, and I, I'm absolutely convinced she's a far more selfless person than I am. So I do get the better end of that deal. Yes. So. That's, that's, a little that's a good <laughs> comment. Is she in this service? No, she's or? not here. So she's uh, not here. <laughs> <laughs> but you better say that again. Yes. Next service, I think. I'll Very good. Um, second question again to any or all is, what do you reckon is the biggest challenge that men face today? So getting a bit deeper there. Well, I, um, I had a dinner with some, a very interesting collection of men the other night. One was a, the founder of a probably one of the largest youth movements in Australia. The other was a, a philosopher, theologian and uh, songwriter. And the other was a young captain in the SAS. All, uh, all men of God. And every one of them, when I asked that question, said they would say without a doubt it's the prevalence or the epidemic of, uh, that we see on the internet with pornography. Mm -hmm. um, or you could broaden that to social media. I think... You know, our young men in particular um, are being bombarded with thousands of messages every day um, that are informing their identity, they're informing their sexuality, unfortunately. Uh, the, all the surveys say the majority of young men, the majority, are in some ways affected by this, and I think that is affecting the way mm. they're going to treat their wives and their partners, yeah. their yeah. perceptions of women, and their own identity and, and sense of worth. So yeah. I think it's a huge problem that we really need to uh, come to grips with. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you, Duncan. Uh, I, I thought there were three things, and sexu sexuality was certainly one of them. Mm. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because um, I've just come into contact with uh, a couple of circumstances that have put it right in front of my face, and and I think I think one of the real challenges, and, and you kind of said this, is you know guys are visual, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, just a fact of life. It's the way we're wired. And we're bombarded um, day in, day out, television, the workplace, wherever we go. And, you know, even sometimes in the church community with bare flesh. Mm. And it's just difficult. And, you know, I probably won't get many uh, fans out of this sort of statement, but I, I just wish that some of our ladies and some of our young girls would help us a bit more. Oh, we're going there. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. And, um, but I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I don't disagree with your point on the, on the ladies, but also I think the men need to step up as well. I think the other factor is where there's, a, again, an epidemic of fatherlessness out there. Where are the male role models who are helping our young people navigate a tougher terrain, mate, that you and I ever Absolutely. grew up in? Absolutely. So, so and, it's a twofold. And husbands mm, exactly. speaking to their wives. Mm. Surely. Well, for me, I was, um, it was probably a bit more general. Like, as, as men, we are asked to be Christ-like, lay down our lives, and uh, effectively be selfless people. And um, all what you're covering there is about the, um, the God of self, self-pleasure. Okay. And, um, and I think that is, um, you know, that it's covered in that, and it's covered in so many other things. It's about the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of self-pleasure, okay. and worshipping ourselves. And I think that, for me would be the biggest challenge. Mm. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good I mean, we haven't compared notes, but again, um, that was on my list as well. Contentment, I put it under. Uh, you know, we're bombarded with, uh, you know, what we need and what we should have, and there's a, a basic discontent mm. yeah. within uh, the lives of men, and because of that, they're, they're filling their lives with yeah. work to get things, uh, you know, to supply yeah. what they think uh, they want and the family wants. And so they get into this cycle yeah. that just so fills their life, mm. makes it so much more complex than it needs mm. to be. Yeah. Lack of contentment, yeah. I think, is the big issue with men today. It's a big challenge. Okay. Pretty much agree with these guys. I sort of said it well, but just identity and, and sex. Yeah. Um, just how they handle it. You know, who are we supposed to be? What do we look like? Do we have a beard? No beard? Yeah. You know, beard. Yep. Isn't today National Grow a Beard Day? Is it? Yeah, something like that. So I'll, I'll do that for the next service. I'll get that sorted. <laughs> secure, um, secure men don't need beards. <laughs> yeah, that's they right. Don't <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just think the same sort of stuff. Who are we supposed to be? What Can't are we supposed to look like? Yeah. What's a man? 
you know, what's it all about. So. Okay, well, we're going to try and even touch on some of those topics um, uh, over the course of the, of the morning. We'll do our best to do that. did want to jump a bit more in the first little bracket into uh, fatherhood in itself. It's a tough gig, I guess, today, especially where we're at in history. Uh, maybe to go to my father first up, uh, any comments you've got on fatherhood and you know how men are supposed to navigate that today? Well, it's kind of connected to my previous comment about uh, contentment. Um, I would just say to fathers, simplify your lives. Mm. Simplify your lives. Uh, I'm just starting to read a great book by Bill Hybels, simply called Simplify, and it's de it deals with all these sorts of issues. So, guys, if you want to read a book that will help untangle the complexity of your lives, get into this book. Um, but um, just to say this, it, it's, you know, it, it, if you simplify your life and come to terms with uh, what you really need, um, the things you should be doing, stuff like that, it gives you space. It gives you space in time. It gives you space uh, for your family that you haven't had. And that radically changes the way that uh, you're able to um, parent. Philip, I, I mean, Philip, we haven't got the time. Is it, is it just time? Like, is it just time management or is it more than mental headspace? I think it's more than Absolutely. time management. I yeah. think it's about simplification in this context, stopping doing some things. Yep. There's a whole lot of stuff in our lives that we don't need to be doing. And we've been duped into thinking that this is what we've got to do in the 21st can you give, century. Can you give one, because it's a big statement, can you give one big thing that you think blokes should stop or maybe somebody else can if it's catching you too by surprise? Um, okay, one thing that you could stop, you know, sit down and really think about all the things that you think your children need to be involved in, all the places you need to take them, you know, to football, to dancing, to to this, to that, and the other thing. Do they really need all of that? Okay. Um, that fills your life so much. You know, how many times do you hear people talking about, oh, I'm just a taxi driver. Yeah. I'm driving my kids here, I'm driving them there. And everybody's sort of wrung out and on the edge no and good. so on. But that's, a, that's just a one single thing. There's lots of things. I think you're, um, sorry, mate. No, you're right, go for it. I think uh, Philip's really onto something, and, and I struggle with this as much as any bloke. Um, I think for too many guys in the West, as opposed to a lot of third world countries, our identity is found in what we do. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's something natural about that as well as blokes. We like doing stuff. Relationships are formed in the context of doing. But, you know, I'm heavily involved in the farming sector at the moment. We're seeing an unprecedented wave of depression and suicide, particularly amongst farmers in the North who for years and generations, their identity and worth has been found in what they do and where they do it. And when the banks are foreclosing on them and that's taken away because of years of drought, they have nowhere to go. Their whole foundation for life is gone. Yeah. So, you know, I think what Philip is saying, it's not so much the specific things you take away, but yeah. is there space for you to connect with God in a way that will build a foundation other than what you do? Yeah, yeah. very good. That's and... and uh, and I'll touch on this in my bit later, but secure men make time for kids mm. and because they know that's the heart of the father. Yeah, yeah. 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 Insecure men fill yeah. their lives with activity yeah. and bring their kids into that crazy vortex. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that, uh, and the kids, and, and that ends up reproducing itself, yeah. doesn't it? You know? And I think if God loves you, he'll rock your circumstances until you've got your foundation is God. That's it. You know, we, 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 yeah. we look on the outside like we're confident we're doing well, but you strip your job away from someone, you strip mm. financial, you know, success, you strip away, maybe even a marriage, you, you strip away those things and see what's left of a man. You know, if your foundation isn't, you know, God and Christ and who you are in Him, then you don't have a foundation to speak of. It's a false self. So I think that's really good. And I think coming back to Philip's point about, uh, you know, as men, we, we're desperate for comfort, containment, yeah. as I look back over 25 years plus of walking with Jesus, the defining moments have been the times he's rocked my world. He said, Duncan, you are, your worth is being extracted from what you do, and I'm going to take that on. I'm going to tackle that. Now, as a man, you can choose to keep him yeah. at bay, or you're going to choose to allow that process to happen. Yeah. 
but that's where the refining happens. Mm. And so for men, don't despise tough times with God because yeah. they can actually make you. Great. Um, you know, just a comment on that. That is a bit what EHS was about, some of that journey through the wall and encourage well, men and women to have another look at that. And common sense, by the way, says a lot of the stuff you'll hear today, we'll talk men, 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 but this is really for, for everybody. Um, not one more question to my father. Ephesians talks about not exasperating your children, and I know it's a, a scripture that... Um, did I hear somebody laughing over there? <laughs> I know it's a scripture that's deep to my heart and, uh, and yours. Why don't you talk about why that scripture matters? Yeah, it's, it's Ephesians uh, 6.4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, the word exasperate in the Greek, it, it's a very um, expansive kind of word. And the definition simply means to stir up feelings of anger and rage. So, you know, Paul's saying, fathers, don't stir up feelings of anger and rage. It seems like, I mean, that's a pretty strong mm. comment for him to make. The fact is that, um, and, and this is all tied with the stuff we're talking about, the, the pressure, the complexity of life, the, right, uh, the pace that we're going at. Uh, fathers are so um, time poor and uh, struggling to, to get priorities in, in order, uh, they're tense, and so there's so much overreaction uh, in the way that they do a lot of their fathering. And uh, in the process of overreacting instead of responding, uh, they push their kids to this place where just feelings of anger and rage uh, are stirred up. You, you might notice it so much when your kids are little, you know, because you're big and they're little and you can kind of keep them in tow. But once they become teenagers, that starts to erupt and, and you interpret it, fathers interpret that as just downright disobedience and, and rebellion, etc. But it's just um, all of these feelings being released and it's, uh, it's a real... Um, it, it's caused by this um, overreaction that we've had over... Uh, over many years in the way that we've dealt with things in all kinds of pressure situations. And Paul is, is really strong about it. He says, don't do that. You know, don't stir up these feelings. Um, can I tell uh, Carl walking around in his socks stories again? I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think? I mean, yeah. some, of, some of you have heard this, but th this verse has actually got... You know, it's, it's a key verse for me. It was a aha moment for me. Now, Carl, when he was about 16, uh, had this habit, walking around uh, the house in his socks, walking around the yard in his socks, and it used to drive yard. me nuts. It <laughs> used to drive me absolutely nuts. And I, and I used to uh, be on and on and on him about it. One night, I just, just blew up. I went ballistic. You know, called him... Uh, slob and all sorts of things oh, and unthinking <laughs> yeah 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 i probably called him a couple of them i mean it was a huge overreaction i'm telling you and uh and i really nailed him on it and um i'll never forget the moment and honestly i i believe it was a god moment he, he had a wisdom beyond his years but he just looked in the eye in the eye and said dad say you're really upset with me for walking around in my socks instead of putting my slippers on or a pair of shoes on when a whole bunch of my mates are getting drunk and looking at pornography. And suddenly everything... It was a good answer. Suddenly. <laughs> seriously. Suddenly everything came down into perspective. I also found out a few minutes later after this event... You know, Mandy came into me, she said, you know, I've just had a talk with Carl, and Carl has suggested that maybe he needs to move out of the house, seeing that I could, you know, I'm so frustrated by wow. his behaviour. Wow. You've you got to understand, that was a moment for me. And I realised that I was the one that was wow. causing yep. the problem. It wasn't yeah. him. Good on you, mate. Who gives a rip That's about good. whether yeah. somebody walks around in their socks or not. <laughs> and, and these are the issues, man. You know, that's what this verse is about. Don't do that kind yeah. of stuff. 
So can I just add one quick thing to that? I, I actually moved out of home when I was 15 for exactly the same, not socks, socks. like, <laughs> damn it, socks. But, um, but you know, just like your father getting angry and all that sort of stuff and, you know, the whole dynamic is like, you know, you think, oh, maybe they won't move out to their 18. You still baby them, I think. You think, no, no, they're not big enough to take care of themselves. But I didn't clean my room. I didn't do the dishes. But trust me, it was in there. I could do it. So I moved out at 15 and I coped just fine. So I think you talk about simplifying your life and making it easy. And a lot of blokes go home and they haven't got enough in the tank to care for their kids. Mm. And I think we go home and we go, that's it, I'm done. You know, sort of that old picture of, you know, give me uh, my slippers and a pipe. Um, you know, I just want to sit on the couch and veg out. And I would say if you are going home with not enough in the tank and you're just sitting there and you're abdicating all of your responsibility and you think that's my wife's job, maybe she's a full-time mum and she stays at home. I would say then you're not being a father to your children. Your responsibility ends, I think, when your kid's head hits the pillow. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a five-minute breather, but that's the time where I'm being a dad. That's the time where we, we parent. And if we go home and we don't have anything left in the tank, then I think we're, we're overcrowded. Our life is maybe too busy. We should be able to cope with taking care of our kids. So. Okay. Um, we'll just keep it moving a bit. Daniel, you're talking here really about some of the ups and downs of parenting. How do you... What do you think about navigating, I guess, the good, the bad, and the yeah. ugly? I'm not sure. Well, you've seen some of these questions. We all have. But that question of when, yeah, I, I think you're leading this way. Yeah, when, yeah. When, we, when we fail yeah. and we, we don't make it, yeah. how, do you, how do you work yeah. through that? No, it's good. Well, I was looking, when I was thinking about this question, I was looking in the, in the Bible where it talks about fathering. And it's nearly a thousand times the Bible talks about fathering. And it's a really important thing and um, you see Abraham God made him the father of all nations so you know fathering is an important thing to us as men um, but I was actually really coming out of the verse that has been mentioned already and we haven't collaborated on this but Ephesians you know 6 4 talking about not um, you know what's the word there exacerbate your children um, you know I think I think why would God not want us to exasperate our children when he makes it so much fun it's fun, right? It is fun to exasperate your children. But in that verse, I mean, let's be honest, in that verse, it sort of You've says, boys, mate. it's so much fun. They're going to get you. You put your hand on their forehead and they can't reach you and it's a stack of fun. Um, but in that verse, what I really saw was, you know, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I, I sort of saw two things at play. On one hand, we as the fathers get to be the absolute heroes we are like you know training them up in the way of the lord we get to instill godly values in them so it's this sort of fine line that we sort of walk on where as men and as fathers we get to sort of be the hero um, but at the same time we can also be the villain mm. and so looking at the good bad and the ugly of fatherhood i think all of those things are involved we we see good we see bad and we and we see the ugly um you know having the walk around in your socks freak out, which that could be affectionately known as, as, as from now on, is probably the bad, but the good is seeing something in your kids that is, you know, a godly desire in them, which you don't really value. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I love sport and I'm into that sort of thing. A couple of my kids aren't that into sport and that's okay. You know, that's the good in a father is seeing something in your kids and, and fostering how God has sort of shaped them. Um, but I was thinking about um, even Noah. Um, he had the courage to follow the voice of God. He sort of, you know, God spoke to him. He knew what he was to do. He was to build a big ark and save his family and also mankind. But then later on, you see Noah was drunk. He, he planted a vineyard and he, he drank some of its wine. And it says he was drunk and naked. I mean, that, that happened fast. You know, he saved the world. He was the hero. The next thing, he's drunk and naked. And I think as a father, I personally know that there's times where I've walked away and thought, I'm just a hero to my kids. You know, today's a good day to be a hero to your kids. You're their father, they love you, they're giving you little toys and, you know, trinkets from school that they bought, which I wish they didn't because they're junk. But, um, you know, so you can feel like a hero, but then another time you might think, I just totally stuffed that up. And I always say to my boys, and I do, I say to them, I am stuffing you up in ways that you don't even know yet. 
Just wait. You'll figure it out when you're older. But dad is screwing you up in ways that you don't even know. And I try to point them to God in that moment and say, God is your father. He's your perfect father. I'm the broken one. And I just have to keep apologizing and doing my best to, to be the best dad I can be. So I think how we navigate the good, bad, and the ugly of fatherhood is having our, our identity in God. Okay. So that when we make mistakes, and maybe there's fathers here who have mucked up like all of us have, in those moments, God's grace is good enough for you, no matter where you're at. I, I had a father who, it was too late for him. He had already done the damage. It was done, it was final. There was no getting back those years. But he, in one day, many, many, many years later, after the damage was done, he repented and we reconnected. And it's never too late for you that's to feel great. the grace of God yeah. on your life. So if you've failed as a father, then that's just a good platform for you to say, God, help me to be forgiven. Help me to move forward. So. For me, I remember when I was a kid, um, talking about fathers exacerbating their kids, I think I exacerbated my father because I bought the worst out of my father. Um, and I remember, and I cop discipline like you should. And, and I remember, you know, going through a session of discipline. And then later on, he'd come in and he'd, he'd apologise. And as a kid, I couldn't understand why. You know, I deserved that. I deserved that flogging. But he'd say, no, I did it in the wrong attitude. I did it. In, I was angry at you and, um, you know, and it was wrong. And therefore, it was harder or more brutal. I don't know. No, I mean, he was a good dad. Don't get me wrong. But um, and at that time, I didn't get it. But it's only now I'm a parent. I get that. I get what he's talking about. And I get the, 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 the feelings, you know, that he associated with. And, you know, I've learnt from my dad, and some of you guys mightn't have that, uh, that privilege that I had, but I, my dad didn't, you know, but he applied it. So, you know, that's a challenge in front of us. Whether we've had a lesson, whether we've had someone model it to us or not, we can still make the choice to apply that, what Dan is talking about. And Wayne, you know, we, we get good principles and we're all trying our best, but what about as a father if we just keep on failing, we just feel like we're not achieving, we're not hitting the mark how do you cope with that i'm not saying that's been your story but what advice would you give for for men oh, is that one of my questions yeah <laughs> it is so when you're just not when you're just well not yeah it. i i i went to my question the way i think i asked it okay no it's good um i i took the story of the prodigal son and whether with a son where the father felt like you know the father was a good dad but his son went and chose the wrong path and as, as, a, as a dad to, in that transitional stage, like I'm right in that middle, that, uh, that, that stage now, I've got an 18-year-old son and a 16-year-old son, they're becoming men, you know. And um, Philip, you know, you've been there before me, and these other guys are still yet to come. But my boys are there, my boys are becoming men, and I've got to let go of them. And, uh, you know, you can think, you can see all the, uh, yourself in them, all the good, the bad and the ugly, what Dan was just saying, you can see that in them. And you want to take away the ugly bits because you think, don't do what I did. It's, it's not a good choice, you know, a lot of things. But again, I remember my folks in that time. See, the kids I grew up with in, in church, they're not going to church today. And I've quite, you know, I've analysed that and thought, why is that? And I think part of it is that their folks overparented, and they were, or the other, or the opposite, they disengaged totally from their yeah, children. And they, and in this season of, of finding your own faith, finding, you know, you, you've got to find faith as a kid you've got to find faith in God for yourself you don't go through your folks anymore and that, that transitional time is, a, is an interesting journey and I pity the young adult leaders actually who are taking them yeah. through that um, all power to you mm. but, um, but my folks let me go they let me go and m find my own journey and, and like I said I've, I caused a lot of pain to my parents I, I explored the world and I got into stuff that, that wasn't their choice, and but they didn't come and rescue me. Like the prodigal father, the father of the prodigal son, he didn't go to that pig pen and drag his son out and say, "What are you doing? Get back here!" Where it's you know, he didn't do that. But what he did, he stayed home and he prayed, and he looked down that road and he was just waiting and he was ready for the time that his child came back to him, and um, and that's what happened to me. You know, my folks never never criticised me. They never put me down for the choices I've made, and their hearts were bleeding for me. They they've told me their hearts were bleeding for me. They would wait. We had up late at night worried about me, where I was up to and what I was doing. Um, but they, they just That's stayed good. true. And they That's yeah. good. Yeah. Really good. I mean, a lot of nuggets <coughs> of truth coming out here. A lot of it, though, is based on role models where either, I guess, with God or our own fathers, where we've seen them do things well. 
Uh, Duncan, you've got a story that will relate to probably many where you felt a bit separate, a, di a bit distant from your father. Um, how have you worked through that in terms of then being a father yourself? Yeah, mate, and look, it's a, I'm a works in progress, mate. Sure. Um, as, as we all are up here. Mm. Um, yeah, look, my father, uh, mum and dad separated when I was 13 and, and dad, in his own way, tried to remain a loving presence in my life. But the reality is when you're a 13-year-old and you've got this larger-than-life successful father, um, you know, I perceived that as a rejection thing. And so for the next five years, and I think the basic instinct of any boy is to please his father. Mm. So for the next five years, you know, my life became a, a very unhealthy stage where I was trying to appease dad, trying to win his life and through love through all sorts of crazy ways and, and thankfully met God um, in, in a powerful way and, and I would love to say that was it, all sorted, identity sorted, yeah. but it wasn't the case. That was really just the beginning of God taking away that appetite in me to please my earthly father and, and really my life became this crazy platform for acceptance. And But what God did was he brought Season after season, he would bring a great man of God into my life. Right. And uh, every one of those men, instead of feeding that part of me that wanted acceptance, they said, look, we're going to journey with you to help you find the true source of your acceptance. And that's Jesus. So, and, and I had so many great men God brought along. And my mum was a key part of that too. She, behind the scenes, was facilitating these men. I can still remember the first time I turned up to church, and this is where men here... You know, your, your biological father, some of you, but you can be fathers in the house or fathers in the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was in a small country church at a time where a divorced woman was uh, somewhat ostracised. Yeah. Uh, but on that first Sunday after people heard my, my mum and dad had spilled up, two farmers came and grabbed me and said, Duncan, you're coming back to our place. Wow. And I did that every, every week for about three years. Wow. And, uh, and every season there was a mental list. So I think I learned... I think in those seasons, they really can make or break you. Yep. And um, so instead of going, you know, there was a circuit breaker through Christ. But after that, I learned, I guess, in a, yeah, I, I learned to lean on God. I learned that my identity was based on the fact God accepts me. And out of that understanding, uh, I live my life. And in terms of me as a father now, I think I'm more aware of that. I think I have a greater empathy for that. Yeah. And I think I really do realise the best thing I can do for my children is to be a secure father whose life is grounded in Christ. That's yeah. the best thing I can do. Yeah. Because if I really if I don't understand that, if I'm playing to the crowds, you know, it's like what Philip said, I fill my life up with activity. If I do understand that, I make space for the things that matter mm -hmm. for him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's some of my journey, mate. So yeah. I honestly believe I have a better perspective today because of what happened. And that's the grace of God. Yeah. I you think, uh, Duncan, I mean, I know we talk, mate. Um, it might be just worth... I mean, you, you made a huge decision a couple of years ago to leave ministry, mm. to go back to work with your dad. Why, why don't you just mention yeah, yeah. sort of what drove that? Because it, it, it just illustrates healing and... Well, it does, mate. I mean, mm. just very quickly, you know, my father... Uh, He's a great guy. We've got a great relationship now, but he doesn't follow Jesus. And he, right from when mum and dad separated, dad was trying to get me to work in the business with him. And so for me, I almost had to let go of my, my physical relationship with my father because he didn't approve of me becoming a journalist or a, or a Christian or a Christian CEO or a senior pastor. Didn't approve of any of those things. Uh, but strangely, about three years ago, my father uh, has been struggling with cancer. Um, God just laid it on my heart very clearly. Now is the time to go back wow. and work with your father. And interestingly, as a mentor of mine said, part of my struggle has been my whole life I've been looking for my father to father me. Mm. But he said, now because of the man you are in Christ, in a sense you're going to father him sure. yeah. in this season. And I wouldn't want that to go outside these walls. But that's where even though I don't get the approval or the affirmation or the validation I would necessarily like I guess I'm I get that daily from Christ mm -hmm. yeah. I mean he is my sustenance mm -hmm. and he's put me even though it's been excruciating at times I'm now in a point where I can dispense grace awesome. to him in a that's way great. I never awesome. would have thought yeah. was possible mm -hmm. and that's because I've been fathered by the greatest father that's yeah. great. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I hear two big things, themes here. I hear journey and I hear identity uh, are the two things. Don't think this is all quick, but there is a great identity that we can have in Christ. Yeah. We're going to break right now. The next section isn't as long in case you're nervous <laughs> about that. But uh, all the men, please jump on up. Uh, grab a chocolate, a cup of coffee, uh, water down the back. Come and grab your seats to uh, take us back. And uh, that'd be good. Dan, I might kick off actually with you again. I mean, you got the toughest question of the day. Uh, what does it mean to be a real man? First, I got to pick the chips out of my teeth because I'm missing some. Real men do. <laughs> chips That's right. You got missing teeth, or? Oh yeah, I've got I got plenty of missing teeth. Not knocked them out in a bar real fight. Real man. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Yesterday wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, still bleeding. No, no, not at all. His um, bar fell on him. When I when I thought about the question, what does it mean to be a real man? Um, I think our culture bombards us with images. I think we all sort of think, you know, to be a real man, I have to be a Duncan Brown. I mean, look at him, barrel chest. Big bloke, rusty, <laughs> bit, a, bit of man boys. love over soy, here. Soy latte. Soy latte. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you sort of contemplate, what does it mean to be a real man? And, you know, there's a lot of push at the moment. There really is actually quite a big push for beards. It's a really weird thing. Um, a big push for beards. I had one a little while ago. I didn't quite have a big enough neck beard. I think I cut that out. I should have had, had the neck beard. I like your beard. I should have. It scared Ipswich folk because they were like... Especially when I wear a backpack, it was a bit scary, yeah, so, um, so, but you know, it was only a little while ago, like, I don't know how long, I think it was about 150 years ago, men were wearing dresses, and in fact, Carl mentioned it before, he said that the prodigal's father, no, I don't think it should come back, unless you're Scottish, maybe they wear their kilts or whatever, but, um, you know, the, the prodigal son's dad, you said before, he lifted his, and I saw you hesitate, like, I was trying to think of the real word, I couldn't clothing. think of it. I think it's... What's the real word? Skirt. It's like <laughs> a, big, a big dress. But men used to wear Robes. dresses or skirts. I don't Robes. know what they were. Robes. 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 Okay. Robes. Lin- That's the, it. The mm. biblical term is linen ephod, I think. So they would wear their, their dresses and it only stopped. Pants only came into existence because as the men were riding the horses, I think maybe there's a bit of horses plus chafing equals pain. So when you're riding and you've got a, a skirt, then it's probably a bit weird. Um, so pants came in and so pa- really pants became a symbol of strength for men so if being a real man has nothing to do with the clothes you wear then what does it mean to be a real man so I've had a bit of a, a stab at this I don't think this is exhaustive at all some of this is literally just my own thought and uh, some of it I, you know, I believe is a bit of scripture as well but I think the first thing that, that came to mind for me is that a man should have courage and so it doesn't matter if you walk around sipping a soy latte and a pink shirt. Um, if you've got courage, I'd say you're a man. That's what men do. We, we are men of courage. Really, that, that word for me equates to faith. We are men of faith. And we read in Hebrews 11 about all of these different people. Yes, men and women in that passage. But for me, to be a man is to have faith. So we see that with Abraham. He, he left his homeland in faith to a, plan, a, a, a land that he hadn't known, and Noah did the same thing. Noah, um, you know, built an ark in faith that God was going to do what he said to do. And I think to be a real man is to have courage and to model faith to uh, those around us. The other thing I thought of was that men are to be protectors. And I don't know many men who, when they were boys, didn't run around the backyard with a stick, pretending it was a gun or a sword. I spent hours in the backyard killing people and I don't know, monsters and brothers. Geelong is pretty rough. So, (laughs) and and I I can actually remember that, you know, I remember I felt overprotected as a kid. Like mum and dad didn't let me feel what it was like to be a bit dangerous. And men will look for that thrill somewhere. I think its place is in godly leadership of the home. Its place is in protecting our kids, protecting um, our wife. But our role, I think to be a real man is to be a protector and that's not just physical violence, although when that happens, then praise God, it's good fun. But I think that being a protector is, you know, it can, be a, it can be a guy who's quietly spoken, but he protects the heart of his kids, he protects the heart of his wife, he protects his mates, 
I think being a protector is very much a biblical attribute because we see that in Genesis. Adam is given the command to, to not eat from the tree. And so in a way, he has a role to protect his wife. And then it says that she's there picking from the fruit. And it actually says she gave some to him because he was right there. So here's Adam passively sitting in the garden. Um, the servant is deceiving the woman and Adam does not protect his wife. He just doesn't do it. And so we actually see you know, this broken picture of, of what, it, what it shouldn't look like for a man to be, to be passive. We should have protected. You know, that's our role now. We should be people who protect. And he didn't do that. Okay. That's so good. He let it go. So faith, protection, yep. courage, yep. great points. It's a big question. Would you guys add anything uh, to that? Uh, you know, what, what's a real man? Um, I actually thought about this one just because I read through you know, all the different notes. But all of my life, and, and I've done this intentionally, I've wanted to be, now this will sound a bit plastic and a little bit, you know, super spiritual, but all my life I've wanted to be a man of God simply a man of God. Um, if you sort of track scripture, you'll see time and time again that phrase, the man of God, the man of God, and the man of God. And the man, it goes right through into the New Testament. And every time the man of God is mentioned, uh, he was a man with influence. He was a man who made a difference. You know, uh, the cry of my life has been to make a difference. Um, and so... Um, I, in, in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy actually defines what a man of God looks like. Mm. And, and he says, a man of God is righteous, godly, full of faith, loving, enduring, and humble. Um, I have tried to do that. And those who know me well will say, well, you haven't done a real good job at it. But um, I have tried seriously to do that all of my life. That's what I think. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's what I think being yeah. a man is. Good. I'd probably just add, mate, uh, I'd add probably the obvious one, which is love. Um, again, in Timothy, you know, it's that fairly controversial passage now where, uh, yeah, Paul says, uh, men, love your wives, yeah. wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah. In, in other words, what they're saying, he's actually picking the two things that both the husband and the wife find toughest to do. Yeah. Men do find it tough to love their wives, and yeah. women find it tough to submit yeah, to men. And the love he's talking about is not just a, a touchy-feely yeah. thing. To me, love equals valuing someone equals yeah. creating space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if I look at the great men of God that I admire, they create space for people. Yeah. They're, not a, they're not a slave to this world, but they, they understand the value of the people that God puts in front of them. We had a funeral of a, a good friend recently, 43, died in a surfing accident. One of the quietest men you'll ever meet. But 1,200 people turned yeah. up ah. to his funeral. And uh, every testimony was, here was a guy who made space for me. And to me, great men make space okay. for people around them. Um, we're setting the bar high here, you know, for what manhood is all about. And we touched on this at the start, Wayne, but just the, the fact that a lot of guys are stuck in their own addictions and uh, are slaves in a way. And many perhaps would be sitting here today going, I don't come close to some of those things and can feel very accused even in that moment or beat up. Um, you know, the message of the gospel has something to say to that, I know, but what would, what would you say to that out of that gospel message? I, um, I like the story in, what is it, um, John 8, 1 to 11. It's about the woman caught in adultery and uh, the Jewish leaders bring him before Jesus and say, Moses' law says, you only got a stoner, what do you say, Jesus? And Jesus is writing in the sand, you know, he's just doodling in the sand. And they're at him. And uh, so he stands up and he goes, well, you without sin cast the first stone. And one by one they walk away. And then he goes back to writing in the sand. And then he says to the woman, where are those who condemn you? There's no one. She says, well, neither do I. You know, for me, like, oh, um, I'm not afraid to say, courage, that I have had, and, um, and I, when, you, when you say... Talk about addictions, um, you probably, you're probably never away from them totally. There might be something a part of you for the rest of your life. You've got to be aware that they're there anyway. But I've had um, addictions in my life. And, then, and when I've succumbed to them and when I've um, sinned and caught in adultery like, um, like that woman, um, I've been my loudest accuser. 
I've been the one who condemns myself. I used to get in front of the mirror and I would go, and, you know, I've read out a list of names, but there's nothing on what I called myself in front right. of that mirror. Yeah. And, um, and what it did is just shot up this, this barrier between me and God. It's because I was still present there. I still had the stone on my hand and I was still ready to kill myself, you know, mm. not physically, but, you know, um, with my words. And, um, and it wasn't until that I was able to let that go that I could connect with Jesus. You know, and Jesus would say, well, I don't condemn you, Wayne. And he's not saying, I'm okay with the sin. He said to the woman, go and sin yeah. no more. So he wasn't, he wasn't all hunky with the sin. You know, he didn't like that bit. But as men, as me, I had to, I had to work at breaking this cycle. I had to you know, um, work at it, bring people into my life, share it, get it out in the open, and, um, and, and put up um, um, different... You know, I learned all sorts of different things about how to, how to combat the... The, you know the pathways in my mind to renew my mind basically that's really what it was and um but the beautiful thing there is that that you know jesus was writing in the sand you know we go back to the old testament god's finger wrote in stone the ten commandments and they were permanent but he was writing in sand and that's not permanent it's like the sin in our life it's not permanent it can be washed away yeah, the right. sin can be washed away you guys add to that we might even make that the last yeah, I might thought. Have a, sort of a question i mean addictions I, i've never i mean i was a smoker at one stage i was a german baptist and it was legal okay german baptist. <laughs> um, and uh i mean i got set free from that addiction supernaturally you know by the by the holy spirit it was just bang but uh, I, I think the question i've got for you or any of any of us when you're battling with an addiction and trying to break through from it and it doesn't come you know mm. immediately supernaturally how how much of a help is is peer group support and stuff like that is was that part of your experience did you have guys around you or? it was yeah i um my first decision to start breaking through was in melbourne and i used to meet regularly with a guy who um who had similar issues and we would felt and that was my first step. And then the next step was to talk to someone who had, who had you know, and I journeyed with him for a while. And we'd pray together and we'd share when we stuffed up. And, and, um, and then I met another man who was a bit more um, further down the track. And I remember that day that I had to, you know, share with him. It's like this guy's, you would never know that he would have ever had similar issues in his life. And the day that I shared with him was, was like a breakthrough. It was because I was so petrified that he would, treat me like I treated myself that he would abuse me verbally and you know but he didn't he was you know um like Dan Duncan you were saying earlier about those men and you whom you come yeah. in just welcome me and yeah. help me through and I think that is you know God will you know I've, I've struggled addictions as I'm sure every bloke has at some level um and you know in every case breakthrough has come when I've been prepared to share with a brother in Christ and so I think men yeah, we weren't meant to do this journey on our own. Right. Um, and for me, it was summoning, a, you know, the, there was a Holy Spirit conviction there and acting on that and just saying to a guy who I trusted and I knew loved me and believed in me, mate, I'm struggling in this area, knowing that there would be no condemnation. Mm. If you don't have those friendships in your life, you don't need 10 of them, one, two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Men who you know they have your back, they love you. Pray that God will bring those men across your path. Because in every situation, that's where the breakthrough came. And again, with this young SAS captain, uh, he was sharing that he'd been really struggling with uh, internet pornography on his phone, his iPhone. And he had a brother who he connected with every week. And that guy said, well, mate, you need to, uh, you need to make it an unsmart phone. So he took the internet off his phone. His problem went away. That's the thing about blokes. We're not complex creatures. <laughs> you know, sometimes it is just about turning that switch off or removing yourself yeah. from a situation. Yeah. There can be a deeper issue, but the starting point is have a bloke who you really trust, who has your back. And when the Holy Spirit prompts, and you know he will, summoning up the courage to say, mate, I need help with this. And then being tenacious, being a problem solver, which blokes do, working it through until yeah. you do find that breakthrough. Mm. It requires a degree of tenacity, mm. but it's worth it. I got right at that point, it sums up with the manhood. It's the courage to say something. Yep. It's the humility yeah, to yeah. say something. Yep. It's yeah. the love for not only yourself, but your family yeah. who yeah, you're passing good. stuff on to. Yeah. You know, it's all those things I think you yeah. guys shared about what is yeah. manhood is right at that point. Mm. And, that and that's why I raised the question because I was 
kind of heading that way. I know you want to finish. Yeah. Um, but the pornography issue is a big one. And, and I just want to say, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm saying if any of you guys want to talk to me, I will help organize the kind of yeah. support group for yeah, you so that we can break through that. And, that and you got yeah. my yeah. word, nobody, but you and I will know about yeah. it. Can I just add one last thing? I can now because I've said that. Go for it. And I'm out soon, so you, you can do what I want. 20 seconds. Um, the biggest lie, I think, the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And I think the biggest lie men can have is that your sin is greater than the blood of the cross. Mm. So, oh, I've done this. It's sort of what, like what Wayne was sharing. Like, oh, I've sinned and how can God ever forgive me? Stop. You're full of yourself. You're not greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't out-sin the grace of God. So overcome that hurdle. And come and speak to Pastor Philip about all your messed up things, and he'll sort you out. So it's good. <laughs> you know, yeah, Jesus you said. You really are out, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> He's leaving town. <laughs> You've got plenty of time on your hands, actually, Dan. <laughs> Jesus said, you know, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, uh, but to save the world. And I, I want to go back to where I started at the beginning here. These guys, they haven't got all of this perfect but they they get that they walk with god they're with god and then they're not uh, all of those other examples and um that comes out of an understanding of the grace of jesus christ it's on their life i believe the scripture says you know uh people understood that some of the disciples were ordinary men but they took note that they had been with jesus it's a beautiful scripture and uh these guys and you know not super intelligent haven't done a whole lot of stuff to sort sort themselves out i know for a fact um but they're people they're men that have accepted the grace of jesus christ john three sixteen. for god so loved the world it says it doesn't you know that that is god the father there loving the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes is the word there it doesn't say do get it right yeah. come to church fix yourself it says believe now that belief is not just an empty belief i don't want to sort of sell it short here it's not just like uh well i believe there was a guy called jesus there's plenty that believe that it's a trusting belief in our life and there's no doubt about it but it, it begins with a belief a trust and acceptance of jesus and every single person here today has that opportunity to walk with Jesus. And I would even say today, you know, this is the thing. It's not just words. It's not a good intellectual argument. I would believe that even today that the Holy Spirit of God can draw people into that relationship with Him. It's nothing I can do. And our greatest hope, I know it would be the hope of these men here, would be that you would say, I want to walk with God because of the grace of Jesus Christ who did what I cannot do, who died on a cross that took my sins and uh, rose again to give me life. And our greatest pleasure would be to pray with you for you to say, I don't get it all, but I think I can believe. That's all that he asks you to begin to do, believe. It's not overly complicated. Thankfully, he knew he was coming to save men. He just says, believe. And so I encourage you in that. Uh, it might take some courage to talk to somebody, to come and talk to any one of us. Maybe it's a situation you're in. Maybe it's taking that first step of faith. But uh, we would uh, encourage you to walk with God. There is so much life to be had if you do that. All right? Dad, I'm going to put you on the spot, but can you just pray for us here today? I think that would be great. Father, it's a real privilege to stand in your presence and to recognize that your heart is for men to rise up and become the men of God that you want them to be. And so I pray for every man in this building yeah. this morning, whether they be a father in the natural or not, because every one of us is a father in the faith. Yeah. And so I pray for each one of us today. I pray that the arising in our spirit, a new determination to do things according to your way and your purpose. I pray, O oh God, that uh, you'd move our hearts this morning and do something fresh in our hearts that would give us hope, 
for the future. Help us to understand that we are designed to lead. We are designed uh, to solve problems. We are designed to inspire and encourage. Lord, anoint us afresh today, I pray in Jesus' name to that end. And so we thank you. And we believe, Lord, that all these things shall be so. And we pray in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Can you put your hands together for these (laughs) guys?